Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm Sam Kobo, your host, and today I'm lucky enough to virtually welcome both Megan Carroll and Kelly Roberts into the virtual podcast studio for a discussion on the Women in Lighting and Design Group, how it started, and what it's doing today. Megan is the Senior Specification Sales Manager at New York Digital, and Kelly is the Studio Director at Wald Studio. Megan and Kelly, welcome to the podcast. How are you both doing? Thanks. It's good to be here. It's fun. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. It's great to see you both on the computer screen. I'm super excited that we have the ability to do all these cool things virtually today in a time that's almost forced us into it. But hey, you know, we saved a few air, airline miles today and we all got to sleep in our own homes last night. So it's good to be here and I'm really excited to catch up with both of you. But before we dive into this conversation today, I just have to ask, who are Megan and Kelly uh, and how did you get your start in lighting? My name is Megan Carroll, as you said. Thanks, Sam. I have started in lighting accidentally. It wasn't my intention. I really wanted to be an actress, but I found out that perhaps behind the scenes and into the lighting realm was going to be a better fit. That or food and beverage. I also I worked in the food and beverage industry for a long time, managing restaurants. So that kind of bled into creating community because that's what you do as a server. That's what you do as a manager, managing uh, an 80-person staff, running a restaurant. A restaurant is all about creating environment. And that's how I got into lighting because... That's just what happened. I was doing lighting design spontaneously and in improvising for a restaurant group in Connecticut. And my next job after that was working with a very cool lighting company in South Norwalk, Connecticut, way ahead of its time because Sona was not yet the gentrified, fun place it is today. But here I am in lighting 30 some years later. You know, everybody has their own way or walk into lighting. It's always fun to hear that it wasn't just, well, I, I picked up a light bulb and figured right. this would be my career. How about you, Kelly? Yes. Similarly, I also had my start in theater, although I never had any interest in, in being on stage. <laughs> I was always interested in the back of house doing the scenic and lighting design. And so that's what I went to school for. But when I came out of school, realized I needed a change. I didn't like the hours and I wanted to create something a little bit more permanent. So I've dived in. I, well, I moved to New York City, as you do with the, you know, backpack and my thumb out and, um, <laughs> <laughs> found a position at Walt Studio. And I've been with them for almost 16 years now, which is really impressive, crazy to say, and learned everything that I know about architectural lighting from Bill Armstrong there. And I'm really passionate about the projects that we do. We work a lot on residential and hospitality. And I feel like that really allows me to take that theatrical creativity and turn that into something that's creating these like crafted and, and personalized spaces for clients that are, you know, interesting and intriguing. So that's where I've, that's where I've come from. You know, I think it's interesting because lighting brings so many people together just as a medium. And then there's the lighting industry that also brings so many people together from these different backgrounds. And there's a, a longstanding joke in the industry. Once you get in, you can never get out. But I think you can never get out because it is something that's fascinating and provides a, a unique opportunity with a lot of really unique skill sets that have to come together to be a lighting professional. 
And when it comes to being a lighting professional, there's that opportunity to kind of look around and get to know your peers. But back in the 90s in New York City, there wasn't maybe a, as equal of an opportunity to interact with your peers when it, be, when it came to the men and the women in the lighting industry. And this thing called Wild kind of sprung up. Megan, you, you were there when it started. What was that like? Talk to us a little bit about that. There was this need to connect women that I was seeing because I had the wonderful opportunity of traveling for most of my career across the country. So my territory had always been national. So I knew all these amazing, smart, funny women across the country that didn't know each other or locally in New York City that didn't know each other. But because my role brought me into any office, I wanted to bring these women together. And it was actually at a conference, I recall, in Fort Worth. It was an IALD conference, most likely with Barbara Bouyea and Nancy Stathis and Pamela Hull Wilson and walking down the street talking about the men. And we didn't golf and we didn't have the kind of hangouts and we didn't have the deals with the contractors or those relationships. And also it was a very different generation. So we just had to fight a lot harder to gain ground. And we started building this casual ad hoc network, gathering in homes, making it literally potluck, which we still do today. We're not funded. We're grassroots. But it was about solving problems networking and and building community. And I wanted these women to know each other. And there was a need to brainstorm, to problem solve together. And that's what it became. Wild was women in lighting design. But I also was concerned because I'm not a designer, but I'm very active, as are a lot of other women in manufacturing, as sales representatives, as researchers. And so under Wild, we all come together in any capacity. What would you say to both of you, you know, what was the main purpose outside of creating an opportunity and a network for these women? What were the sorts of things that maybe from the beginning you started to employ and to bring into this organization? We didn't have the mission statement in the 90s. We just knew we needed to be together. Uh, We looked forward to the camaraderie. We also looked forward to the chilling together. There's definitely an energy and a different flow, a different dynamic in the room when it's all women. And I'm not sure if that sounds reverse sexism, but I find that there is this wonderful comfort, ease of chatting and talking and being. So it was just problem solving, brainstorming. How do we find, how do we solve problems together? Whether that was how do we staff up or how do we mentor a young person that we have eyes on that we want to help grow? We didn't have the formal structure that fortunately Kelly has brought today in her six years with Wild is giving us more purpose, more direction, more communication, more structure. Kelly, talk to me just a little bit more about that purpose that you've defined and and what's driven you to get it to the point that it's at today. Sure. And, you know, I think the, like, if you distill it down to what Wild is, we still are very much what it was in the 90s. The purpose that we have is still to create a community and create a safe space where we can have these conversations that, you know, you wouldn't bring up to your colleagues at work in your office, because perhaps that's where the problem lies. You need to be able to make connections with other women that are probably having the same issues that you're having. And you want to have that conversation and brainstorm ideas together. You want to find the women that are 
up and coming in the industry and try and help them grow and possibly achieve things that you were not able to because you were held back. I ended up coming to Wild through two ways. There was a an event at Light Fair that was a panel discussion um, that was held by a number of women, two for sure, Lisa Reed and Barbara Horton. And I saw this on the you know Light Fair Hub schedule and was like, what is this you know topic? Okay, talking about women in the industry, sure. I attended that and was incredibly inspired by their stories and what they were talking about. What were they talking about that inspired you so much? So that's so long ago now, but it's it was just their honesty in talking about the problems that they had faced. And I just had a connection and said, yes, I've been there too. And it was something that I had never heard in the lighting industry when most of the conversation is about more technical fixtures, manufacturers. It was a breath of fresh air, I would say. And then when I came back from Light Fair, New York City, the women that were running the group at that time also had an event. And so they both coincided. And I attended that event, met some amazing women that I had never met before because I was a little sheltered in my stepping out. And after that, I reached out to them and said, okay, how can I get involved? And I have to say that my like stage manager <laughs> directing yeah, absolutely. Like, OCD kind of got in and I was like, all right, we can make this better. <laughs> we can make <laughs> we this can better. At least, we can at least structure it, which is what I like to do. I like to keep things structured and create something that's a little bit easier to handle. And that's kind of where everything flowed from there. I want to talk a little bit more about that structure and how everything's flowed. But before we get there, I just want to ask you both to share a, a moment or a story or, or something that people could maybe relate to. Gathering at Wild, instead of having your shoulders up to your ears with tension or being concerned about your exact choice of words or your body language, it's just a relaxed environment. And I kind of shy away from the term safe space, yet it's, it's very relevant. But in the 90s, I remember walking into a showroom with my male boss and the guy behind the counter, of course, it was a guy behind the counter said, John, what special do you have with you today? And he was, and yeah, he was, was referring me. to you. He was talking about me. Which was not appropriate. And so today it is a safe space to talk about all the issues as Kelly referenced that we may not want to talk about with our immediate bosses or, or peers or colleagues. And many of our events are mixers. They're open to men and women because they're all common issues. And today, I'm really happy to say that the industry is not male-dominated anymore. There's a strong female population in a variety of roles. And it's an exciting place to be, not only because you can keep reinventing yourself if you wish to, or as Kelly has and, and others have, they grow in one role. They grow into a role. They create something. They take a business where it has not, didn't have a, a plan before as she did with uh, Wild. Yeah. Personally, to back on Megan's story, you know, I, you think that a lot of these very simple things that people say, such as what Megan experienced, you know, and you just walk onto the job site and there's the comments that get made and the pink construction helmet that is saved for the one female that is coming onto the site. And I was with my boss actually on this one specific visit and Ultimately, I was like, well, why don't you wear it? 
And he did. <laughs> yeah. Which is awesome. Which was awesome. And the, but then later on the way back, because he was kind of getting into the, the humor of it, I kind of pointed out to him, I was just like, you know, they were doing that because I was the woman and they were being sexist. And without having Wilde's, you know, support over the last few years, I don't know if I would have had the strength to have that conversation with him. And so it's allowing women to kind of grow in that way and stand up for themselves. You know, I think it's really great that there is this community. And I really appreciate you sharing that story with me and and everyone else that's listening. So many things are said that people don't even sometimes maybe notice what effect they're having on it. And to create an organization around situations like that, that can empower women to stand up for themselves or have an advocate for them, be it a male or a female, is something that's super important. I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's dive in just a little bit more into what Wild's doing today, how they've spread around the nation and what you're both doing to help out. Sound good? Yep. We'll be here. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, The Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye. Offer ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment in architectural lighting. They bring you short stories about lighting, primarily with videos and things like this podcast. Check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, I was just catching up a little bit more with Megan and Kelly about what Wild has done since it was established in the 90s. It's grown outside of New York City and it's continuing to make an impact and grow. Kelly, talk to me just a little bit about, you know, what's happened in the last six years since you've joined and where Wild's at today. Well, one of the main things that was the first step that we took was creating a mailing list, something very simple that people could sign up for so they could hear what we were doing and then potentially get involved. And that seems so simple, but before it was, uh, you know, some Google spread Sign list. In yeah, somebody on a had piece it. piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And along with that, we also created a, a little website, nothing major, so we could keep track of some of the information and events that we were having. So as we kind of did that in New York City, we realized that we had this opportunity that had already occurred at many of the national events. And Megan can speak more to this, but you know, you have Light Fair, you have even Education, you have the IES conference. When we're there, we're bringing women from all over the country. And so as we're walking down the halls with them, we're chatting about Wild and there's interest there growing. They're like, oh, how can I start my own chapter? Doing like, what can I do? How cool is that? Yeah. And, you know, as Megan said before, like there were other groups, I think as some of the founders moved away from New York City. They kind of started their own little pods. But it became a nice place. The, the website and the mailing list became a nice place to collaborate and collect everyone together so that we could kind of help each other grow wherever possible. So we now have somewhere around 15 to 20 chapters in various levels. Some are large, like New York City. Denver, Philadelphia, Chicago, and some are just getting their feet on the ground. We have a really active one-woman show who's raising all kinds of hell and... Wait, can I swear? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all kinds of heck. In, no, um, all kinds of In Des Moines. Of yeah. Ra- um, just raising awareness in Des Moines. And I just... Every 
couple of weeks, somebody uh, reaches out to me and we kind of just establish them with a little background on what WILD is and what they can do for their own community. It's a very community-based group. I was going to say, it's, it's important to create this community. And obviously, WILD has a national presence. But it's very important to have that local support network, no matter what you're doing. And for WILD, this is something that's very specifically important. I know that you would love to have the national chapter and establish it and have it, you know, massively funded and everything else. But right now it's, it's almost still a grassroots movement and you're doing so many amazing things. Talk to me just a little bit more about how that local sense of community is important and how that's almost fostering it. I think the local sense of community is critical to each chapter because we can be very responsive to issues and energy that's occurring at that moment uh, in real time. We would love to be a, a national structure, but we are very much grassroots, ad hoc, potluck. There's no dues. There's no corporate statement. There's none of that stuff because we want freedom, independence, flexibility. On occasion, what's really flattering is that manufacturers and other people have reached out to us saying, I'd like to fund your next event at Education 2021 in New York City because they understand the power that we have the influence that we have, and it happens organically. And on occasion, we'll also go out looking for some help because we want to do bigger and better things, but we want independence. And today, the events that we've managed to pull off both locally and nationally, they're independent. If, if Iowa wants to be alone and do something on her own, that is awesome. But we're not, we don't have the bandwidth to go out and search for women to, to put it together, they have to want to do it themselves. And we're there to be a sounding board and to provide some structure and some ideas, and then they run with it. But local is so important because that's where the network is. First, it starts locally. As you mentioned, it's important to be able to respond to what's going on in those local communities. When we look at all the communities around the country that, as you said, may just have you know, one woman out there who's raising hell and making things happen. Is there any way for them to get involved just in a peripheral way with another section to start to learn or engage virtually in 2020 if they don't maybe have the ability to start their own group? Well, 2020 has a unique situation or opportunity, let's say, for allowing these virtual platforms to take shape. And I would hope that actually we'll see some of that continue as we move away from this in 2021. We were able to recently have a, a wonderful networking event for parents, actually, that all got together virtually. And both mothers and fathers from all across the nation come together to discuss they're in trying to work from home and also have childcare at the same time. That's Wild's purpose is to create those connections and opportunity for discussion. And the virtual platform has really given us this fantastic opportunity to connect people across the nation. It's almost like it's amazing because as you mentioned, local communities are where everything starts. But in 2020, the world has almost had to come together as we all sit at home more often. And we've kind of become one single large community, which is inspiring in some ways because we're staying better connected than we ever had before. Instead of being on the run, we have more time to sit at home or, or find an opportunity to connect with people because we miss that opportunity to connect. Another big thing that 
has been going on for a very long time in this country and around the world is the challenge of, of equality across all races too. And there's women in lighting, but I've got to think you've got something that you're doing to help the diversity discussion. What's going on and, and how are you supporting that? Wild is very aware of the lack of diversity in the lighting industry. We see it at our events. We see it across the board at the industry events. So we are doing our part to raise awareness where we can. Wild Denver just recently hosted an event that kind of shone a light systemic racism in the country and also were, was a teaching opportunity for how to become a better ally. In New York, we are working on an, a new event that may have occurred after you listen to this, but I'll let Megan speak to that one. We're looking at uh, bringing together a group of women of color to understand what their career path has been like, to understand where systemic racism has impacted them, or did they have a beautiful glide path? And I think that they're probably have a double handicap because it, they are women of color in what can be a very rough, what can still be a very rough industry. So we're looking to understand what their stories are. We're looking to also to understand though, how do we nurture, grow, reach out and identify women of color and bring them along? Do we do more work with female STEM groups? Do people know that lighting exists as a profession? And it's amazing how many people don't because we're undermarketed as an industry. So that conversation will occur sometime um, in late September or early October with uh, women from different roles in our industry talking about their experiences and helping us understand, have we personally experienced it? Have we subjected them somehow to something? Because it's amazing how tactless people can be when my colleague in the office continues to refer to women as girls and I continue to correct him. At some point, you have to understand there's a mistake being made here. Let's correct this behavior, this language. And that's what we're trying to do with our conversation um, in a couple of weeks related to Black Lives Matter. I think it's great that as an organization and as individuals to both of you, you've taken that initiative to make sure that you continue to drive the opportunity to create good conversations, conversations that help us all move in the right direction, whether or not we're white or black, we're male or female. The best thing about women in lighting and design is that while it's a group that's focused on women, arguably you've always invited the men to support you and be allies and join you. Talk to me just a little bit about how you continue to encourage everybody to be involved in your organization. The reality is if everyone is not at the table, then nothing is going to change. And we are always hoping and encouraging the men to attend our events so that they can learn about our experiences and hopefully take that back and look at where they're coming from and say, well, how can I change? How can my business change to better incorporate the, the flexibility that potentially a working mother might need or to encourage a father to take time off for paternity leave because because doing that is still a stigma throughout the nation. And that's just one example of something that's kind of normalized in, in all of the industries that would be 
if a conversation is started and people realize what's happening, maybe something would actually be done about it. So we encourage attendees to come to all of our events and to create allies. And we have some closed events too, depending on the nature of the conversation. So as Kelly said, it's an issue for everybody, but inclusiveness is important to us. Any level, any age, any race, any time makes us all a better community. Well, I agree. Making a better community starts with getting everybody involved because with people sitting on the sidelines, as everybody knows who's played a team sport, it takes the whole team to get the job done. What can people do if they want to get involved and volunteer for the organization, just join a local organization? I know you mentioned you guys have a small website. Where else can people learn about what Women in Lighting and Design is doing? The website is the best resource. And there's a nice little link up in the upper right-hand corner where you can click and sign up for the newsletter. And that will allow you to see the different chapters that exist and sign up for the specific chapter you're interested in or and also receive the national emails that go out. There's also some recent news section and the events section that has links to RSVP for any of the up-and-coming events. And there's also in the resources section contact information for each of the local chapters. And so if you're looking to reach out to your local chapter and get more involved, then you have the names of the women that are running the those groups and also their contact email. And that's what I would say is the best way to get involved is to just get started and dive right in. And Kelly, did you say that's a Facebook website? You know, I should probably spend some more time on that website too. What's the URL? It's at womeninlightingdesign.wordpress.com. And then that'll also link you to our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages to make a little bit more personal connections with some of the other women in the industry. This has been an awesome conversation to just learn more about Wild and what you're both doing and how you've pioneered and stayed involved and will continue to push this opportunity to have great open conversations that help everybody make the right steps forward. Do you have some closing thoughts, Megan and Kelly, that you could just share with us and everyone else? Absolutely. It's so rewarding being part of something bigger than you are. It's so rewarding introducing people to each other so that they can, I knew you had something in common. You had to meet so-and-so and here it is. And there's this fast bond formed. It's problem solving and it's building a stronger, healthier community in a safe place. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Wild is still needed. We are growing. And as I say, we are wild and we're not going anywhere. (laughs) We are wild and we're not going anywhere. Megan and Kelly, this has been awesome. Thank you both so much for your time. We'll have to circle back and do another podcast soon. And maybe we could just do it in person. What do you think? We'd love that. That We'd love that. All right. Well, I'll, I'll visit you in the city of Bedrock soon enough. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick. If you enjoyed this podcast, then do me a favor. Head back to the platform that you listen to and click like or subscribe. That's the best way to never miss an episode of The Light Pod, where we interview people who are all things lighting, building technology, curious about the future, and honestly, just have fun stories to tell. Until then, see ya.